0: Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Podcast. My name is Heather and I am with Hogs and Hens Urban Farm. We are a Zone 6A Ohio urban farm. And today uh, for episode two, we're going to talk a little bit about permaculture versus just having a garden. Um, so one of the questions that we get asked a lot is what exactly is permaculture? Specifically, what is a permaculture food forest? Um, one of the main things, you know, we, we tell our friends, what we do and they're like you have a forest and the the short answer is yes we do um so with permaculture it's really important that you grow in what are known as zones Um, so you're going to be you're going to be building things in relation to their proximity and in our case to our home um, now, ours is a little different because our, our permaculture food forest and our permaculture setup, our urban farm is an, it's an urban farm. So we live smack dab in the middle of a historic district here in Ohio. Um, we have neighbors that are fairly nearby. We have regulations um, in, in regard to exactly what kind of animals we can have and things like that. So with permaculture, we are starting out with um, some nut trees, um, so some taller trees. And then below those trees, we have our reachable fruit trees, which are things like reachable apples and pears and plums. Um, We're going to have a whole nother episode dedicated to what all we grow on our farm. Uh, But you get the idea. So reachable fruit trees where you don't need a bucket truck or a huge ladder to harvest your fruits below those we're going to have some of our smaller trees some of our shorter trees so some of our um, our dwarf trees that are very very short and low to the ground below those we have our shrubs so things like our berry bushes which are going to be our blueberries and raspberries blackberries and all of our our berries um, that are going to be more of a shrub still taller than your average annual vegetable but not quite as tall as a tree Below those are where we're going to be having our annual vegetables. So that's where you'll find things like our tomatoes and all of those things, peppers, etc. cetera. There's, there's a ton of different vegetables that we'll be growing. Below those, we're going to have some of our shorter vegetables, things like lettuce um, and shorter vegetables that are low to the ground and will grow below the tomato plants. Now, it's important in permaculture to make sure that all of these things have a healthy, happy, symbiotic relationship. You want vegetables and fruits and and herbs and fungus and all of these things to be planted together in ways that are beneficial to both plants or that are beneficial for an integrated pest management system. Uh, we are an organic farm, meaning we don't use pesticides, herbicides, or any kind of unnatural chemicals um, to, to make sure that our, our forest is as healthy as it can possibly be. So below those shorter um, vegetables, such as the the lettuce and things, we will have some of our bulbing vegetables, so things like onions, garlic, and the allium family. And below those, you'll find our root crops. Those are going to be things like potatoes and carrots and other things that are grown below the ground. And now you're thinking, well, that's from the top to the bottom, right? That's where you're wrong. Underneath those things and surrounding all of our different vegetables, fruits, and and things in our garden is where you'll find our fungus. So we are growing mushrooms. Currently, we have pink oyster mushrooms and pearl oyster mushrooms. We'll be growing uh, wine cap mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms, chestnut mushrooms, lion's mane. Um, We're hoping to grow morels that, you know, will depend on the weather conditions and whether or not the spores take off. Morels can be very finicky, but we'll have mushrooms growing in there as well. And... Excuse me. So the mushrooms are really beneficial to the soil because they draw in all kinds of great things and break up the soil for you. So they're going to help with the composting process and they are a delicious treat. If you like mushrooms, we absolutely love mushrooms in our household. Great things about mushrooms. Um, well, really any of the fruits and vegetables that we'll be growing are that you can store them. So... With mushrooms, we'll be rinsing and removing any dirt and debris and things like that, as well as making sure there are no bugs in them. And then we, we dehydrate those and we will store those for you know use when the mushrooms are no longer fruiting. Nice thing about the mushrooms, once we're ready to start using them, we can simply add them to some water to rehydrate and they taste almost like they're brand new, fresh picked out of the ground. So it's a fantastic way to have some of that abundance saved for the winter. And you can use them in soups and stews without even hydrating them first. They'll suck up some of that excess moisture in your brothier soups and help thicken your, your broth in that regard by, by absorbing the excess moisture. Um, in addition to those things we have things like bees. Um, we're going to be doing beekeeping. It's one of the things that we can do in our city. There are really important rules that you have to be sure of and there is a registration process in, in our home state um, that you have to register with the state and number your hive and pay a small fee every year. But the bees are fantastic for so many reasons on a homestead. So Bees are important because they are going to help with pollination. So they are going to go around buzzing around from flower to flower, collecting pollen, and they're going to pollinate all of our fruits and vegetables to help create a more bountiful harvest. Now, the bees collect that pollen and from that they make honey. And they're going to provide us with honey as well as beeswax in their hive. And we're going to provide them with an abundant amount of food with all of the flowers um, that come from our fruits and vegetables. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship, again, with the symbiotic relationship. Um In addition to that we're going to be having chickens um so we've got chickens on the homestead and chickens are a super valuable resource to a homestead um, and within permaculture one of the great things about chickens they don't take up a ton of space now you do have to be careful because not all cities will allow you to have chickens within city limits We are blessed to live in a city that does allow chickens, though we do have regulations um, that will not allow us to have roosters in our city. Understandably so, as they can be loud and noisy and your neighbors may not want to have chickens. Again, you got to be really careful and make sure you look into all of your local ordinances Um, to make sure that you can have chickens. There are specifications about how close to a property line the coop and run have to be. There are specifications to the number of chickens that you can have. Um, And I've even heard some areas have regulations about the the types of chickens you can have. Um, So there's that. But the great beneficial parts of having chickens in a permaculture setting are that chickens are fantastic composters. So When you harvest uh, some tomatoes, for example, and you have maybe a spot on your tomato where a bug has been nibbling away at it and you don't feel comfortable using that tomato, then you can feed that to the chickens and the chickens will then eat that and enjoy that treat. They will then turn that tomato that was prior a waste stream into manure. So they're going to to naturally biocompost that. Once they have filled their run with manure, you're going to scoop out the bedding and the manure that's in there, and you can use that as compost. Now, manure, any kind of animal manure, is going to be a hot compost. What that means is that it's going to be um, too intense to use on your garden or in your forest at that time. Um, You're going to want to let it age. So we take the chicken manure and chicken droppings as well as any animal manure that we're able to get, such as horse or cow manure, um, goat, llama. We have friends that have uh, farms nearby so we can collect some of that to use in our compost. But we put all of those things in our compost bin, which we'll talk about in later episodes, um, how we have our composting situation set up. But we add those in there and we let that age for a period of time. That allows the ammonia that is naturally going to be occurring in these manure and bedding situations to dissipate. It allows for the bacteria to to munch down some of the, the manure and break down some of those things. And it makes it so that it's stable and safe to use. Um, <clears throat> because you have to be careful... With manure, um, obviously it is animal waste and so it does harbor potentially bacteria and germs that you don't exactly want splashing up on your tomato, um, or on your any of your other things like lettuce. You know, you don't really want manure on your lettuce that is ready to pick and eat, right? Um, so you want to let that break down and turn into compost before you use it. So we do that. Uh, So the chickens provide us, of course, with eggs, which is a fantastic resource. Um, But in addition to just Feeding our family with the farm fresh, organically raised eggs that we'll be, you know, harvesting from our chickens, we also have then the ability to trade our surplus of eggs. Um, now there are ways, you know, you can sell your eggs to to other friends and family, um, or even on a large scale to customers to bring in some money to help offset the costs of your farm. Um, but in our case, we have a barter system set up. So we have a dear friend that grows um, some things that we just do not grow on our farm, but he is amazingly skilled. Um, they, they grow organic microgreens. They are absolutely incredible, nu- d- nutritious, delicious, and just fantastic. We know that they are ethically sourced. We know that they are, are done without pesticides or herbicides, so we know that they are the right kind of food for our family with that in mind when he you know grows these trays of microgreens he doesn't always sell all of the microgreens that he has available so with that in mind he will then have surplus now while his family can eat a surplus of microgreens there is a a certain point where they have more microgreens than even their family can consume as far as leftovers Um, because he does sell his microgreens um, both online as well as at our local farmer markets Um, in fact he's in several different local farmer markets but what's left over at the end of the week he can't sell uh, because once once microgreens get to a certain growing point, they're no longer really good as a microgreen. They're going to start developing and becoming more of the plant. And once it reaches that point, they're just not the same. So we trade um, eggs for microgreens. Um, so he gets farm fresh eggs. We get farm fresh microgreens. And so our family year round has a supply of microgreens that can be used in a host of ways, in addition to, of course, adding them in a salad or just making a microgreen salad. Uh, You can add them to soups and stews. You can distill them and and get distillate out of them. You can add them to, um, you know, some vinegar and make an infused vinegar. You can infuse alcohol. There are tons of different ways to use these microgreens and it's a wonderful way for us to take what would have been waste and reuse it on the farm. Well, when you've grown the microgreens they grow in a type of substrate which we can then turn around and give to our chickens who will pick all the little pieces of microgreens that are left over the little stems that are left over that we didn't harvest because you only harvest the top part of the green the little uh, stalks that stick up the little shoots are left behind so our chickens will pick through all of those and eat them again turning that uh, that microgreen substrate into again, usable compost. So it's it's a great way for us to not only have fresh eggs for our farm, but to trade and have a new source of, of vegetables coming into our home in the form of microgreens. Um, so in our city, we are only allowed to have chickens and bees. We are not able to have um, pigs. We can't have goats or sheep or or cows, or any other kinds of agriculture-based animals. We are allowed to have pets, and then the chickens and bees. Now, honestly, at this point and at this stage in our our permaculture food forest and our homestead, we really don't have the space or the the time availability for us to grow those animals out and to take care of them. So we, we are kind of at capacity with, you know, chickens and bees, and then all of the vegetables and fruits that we're growing. Now, some things that are different in a permaculture food forest setting than in a regular garden setting, because you can compost in a regular garden setting, right? You can hope for bees to come in and nurture your flowers and pollinate them, but the main difference is, you know, typically a garden is done in nice, neat, tidy rows and it's, it's very much um, little tiny mini monocultures where you may have this particular bed has just tomatoes in it and this bed just has peppers, this bed is just alliums, etc., With permaculture, you do a lot of inner planting so that you can maximize the space that you have. Um, so permaculture is so much more than just large scale gardening, right? Um, there are things such as creating swales, which is where you mound the dirt and create hills and valleys, which within your own, um, landscape, to maximize water retention. And so those are things that you don't typically do really with a garden, but you would do in a permaculture setting to maximize the water. Because the goal with permaculture is permanence. You want your garden to be set up in such a way that it's it's relatively hands-off. You want it to be as nature intended. And that's kind of one of the the big principles within permaculture is making sure that We are as close to nature as possible. And so that's what we're doing. Both our permaculture food forests as well as our gardens rely heavily on um, compost to make sure that the soil is as great as it can be. Um, We're going to talk about soil health in a later episode because soil is at the foundation of everything you do on a farm. Um, But we also do mulching and on our homestead we use wood chip mulching uh, from natural wood chips that we get from a friend who owns a tree trimming business. Um, So we, we both our garden and our permaculture food forest are a mulched area we do not have dividers in the forest um so you will have a tree and at the base of the tree you may find planted some some canes for some berries or some some berry shrubs below those like i said we talked about you know the progression of where things will be grown Um, We do a lot of companion planting. So this year in our garden, we did a little bit of companion planting, um, but in the permaculture food forest, there's a lot more of that. So in our garden last year, we planted marigolds in with our tomatoes. Now, the marigolds will help to repel insects, but it also produces these big, bright, vibrant yellow and orange flowers, which will attract pollinators because they see these big, yellowy-orange flowers, and they want to come over and, um, you know, go for the flowers. Well tomatoes have really small little yellow blooms. So once they're there for the marigolds, they're going to stay for the tomatoes. We ended up with one of the most abundant tomato harvests I have ever witnessed in my life. We had tomatoes for days and we had hundreds of pounds of tomatoes that we harvested this year the other thing that's great about companion planting is they repelled insects we had zero tomato hornworms in our tomato beds this year we had uh three tomato beds and then we also had some tomatoes that were planted in containers so we had some some pot tomatoes um potted tomatoes excuse me the nice thing about that was we had a, a wide variety. So we had Roma tomatoes, and our Roma tomatoes, honestly and truly, they became the size of softballs. These were the biggest. Roma tomatoes I've ever had. Now, Roma tomatoes are a paste-style tomato, so they're going to have a lot more flesh and a lot less of the juicy seed part of the tomato. They are fantastic for storage. They are great for making um, tomato paste, tomato juice, salsas, and things like that because they're not going to leave you with a runny product. Um, But I prefer a beefsteak tomato for, like, my sandwiches. I like a little bit more of that moisture to retain in my tomato when I'm using it on a sandwich, we also like to eat just some fresh sliced tomatoes. And beefsteak tomatoes are fantastic for that. Just to slice up maybe a sprinkle of salt or some seasoning and nibble on. Or honestly, I could just eat them straight off the plate. So we had those as well. I planted some tomatoes that were called Mr. Stripey. They were a smaller um, tomato. They were a slicing tomato. And they were a red tomato that had very thin slice. Uh, Slicing through them, I guess, or striping through them um, of yellow, so they were very pretty uh, decorative tomatoes. They didn't get very big; Uh, they got about the size of your average Roma tomato at most. Um, Unlike our giant Roma tomatoes, these were about the size of a Roma tomato that you would find in a grocery store. I think our biggest one was about the size of um, uh, maybe a baseball or like a billiards cue for playing pool, like a one of those. And then we also had. Grape tomatoes. Our grape tomatoes got massive. Um, They also were super huge. They got to be about the size of my thumb. Um, Typical, they're the size of a grape. Well, these ones were about twice to three times the size of your average grape. Um, And we had so many of those tomatoes. It was absolutely crazy the number of grape tomatoes that we had this year. In addition to those, we had um, in our our pots, we had a few cherry tomatoes, and they were very tender and delicious, very sweet tomatoes. They got to be about your average cherry tomato size, nothing giant, but I grew them in pots. They did not grow in our beds. Now, our pots had the same soil in them as the beds. They had the same thin layer of mulch on the top um, as opposed to the thick layer of mulch that was in our garden, and they got watered fairly regularly. But unlike the tomatoes in the ground, they don't have access to moisture. So if you don't water them regularly, they don't get the moisture that they need. And so they were a little stunted. We travel a lot for work. So with our with our farm, it was important for us to go with a permaculture food forest because we want to set this up for permanence. We want to set this up to be long-term, low-maintenance. Um, We're also getting to um, a point with our health. We both have some health challenges that we want to be able to be as hands-off as possible with the food forest as we can. Now, that's not to say that we're not putting work in. With a food forest, there is still a ton of work. In fact, if anything, I would say a food forest is tremendously more work to get established than your typical garden, Because there are so many things that you have to be really careful about making sure that you plant in such a way that when they reach maturity, they're not going to starve or choke out the things that are planted below them. So you have to bear in mind when you're planting in your permaculture food forest that most of the things that you're planting will not reach maturity by the end of a season. In a garden, typically what's planted are annuals. So by the end of a season, they are fully mature. And at the end of the season, oftentimes they're completely removed from the garden and added to compost. With permaculture, that doesn't happen. There are a lot of, you know, your perennial vegetables and fruits and things in there. Because of that, it's important to plan smart. So while it is very important to plan for both your garden and a permaculture design, it's also more important, in my opinion, to plan for the permaculture design because you're setting it up for life and you don't want to put up all this hard effort up front for something that you have to tear out in a couple of years when you realize that you know that tree is substantially taller than you anticipated. So some differences are that With permaculture, you may see me mixing and planting a few onions here and there along the perimeter of my fence and between my nasturtium. Now we use onions and and garlic and other alliums along the perimeter because they create an odor barrier. Um, So a lot of your pests do not like the smell of an allium. They have a very strong odor, both underground and on top. And so it'll help repel some of your typical garden pests. Also, the nasturtium I plant along the perimeters because nasturtium work as a fantastic, fantastic trap crop. So nasturtium are great because they will attract your cabbage moths. They will attract pollinators. They attract all kinds of beneficial insects to the garden. But also, nasturtium are delicious. And so having an abundance of those along the perimeter will... Attract the crops to to those, or I'm sorry, the insects to those, as opposed to destroying the crops that you've worked so hard to grow. Now, nasturtium are an annual flower. However, they self seed fairly voraciously. They are really, really good at propagating themselves. So, they, if left to their own devices, will go to seed, and from there, they will um, drop their seeds and next spring when the sun warms the soil, the conditions are right, there's enough moisture, those seeds are going to go ahead and germinate and you're going to have nasturtium back where you planted them before. So it can be tricky because nasturtium can become a little invasive um, if you're not careful with where it's planted. The great thing about nasturtium, though, if it does become a little bit overwhelming, you can simply harvest it and, um, you know, not let it go to seed, and that'll kind of stop the spread. So that's some of the things that we've done with some of our integrated pest management. Instead of having a dedicated bed for our herbs, we will be having our herbs interplanted with things. So basil is fantastic to plant with your tomatoes. They are wonderful companions to one another. They attract the correct kind of insects to one another. They repel insects for one another and they just grow beautifully together. And how amazing is it to go over and harvest a fresh grape tomato, grab a basil leaf, pop it in your mouth and you have the beginning of like a uh, carpezi salad or carpezi salad. It's amazing. So, we do a lot of that on the farm and um, another important thing is water on a permaculture setting so we're going to be digging a pond this this summer Uh, we're waiting until we have some friends coming over and they're going to be camping on our property in april until after that we won't be digging the pond because it'll take up some of the square footage where people will be setting up their tents but we're going to be digging a pond in the middle of our forest And that will have a constant source of running water. It'll be deep enough that it will not freeze and it will be two-tiered. Because of this, it'll constantly have that ebb and flow of water. We'll have a permanent water source for our garden that we can use to harvest pond water, which is going to have natural bacteria and algae and things in. Uh, We're going to be having fish in our pond. So we have a small ornamental pond out front. This is going to be a much bigger pond than that. Um, they're going to be much bigger fish that being the case they will be producing fish poo and we're going to use that water that has the the fish manure in it to water our plants and that will help to add again nutrients to our soil it's also important when you have a beehive that you have access to fresh water for them Because while most people think about bees, they think about, you know, having pollen available for them and food sources, but they do also need access to fresh, clean water. Well, being in the city, we need to make sure that we have that water source available to them. In some of the more rural settings, you may have streams or creeks nearby, and you may not need to have a water source. But in our case, we live in the city, and while there is a river not far away, it's far enough that we don't want our bees wandering too far from what is the home base just to try to find fresh, clean water. So it's, it's again, a benefit, and it's one of those symbiotic things. You know, we build the pond. The pond gives water to the the birds and the bees and the beneficial insects and things and also to our plants, and then in return... We allow some of our our water-based plants to grow, like watercress, for example, which, as the name says, you know, will help with water. I mean, it'll help grow in water. Um, So those are some of the things that we're going to be doing. And those are some of the differences between a permaculture setting and just a garden setting. Um... We have both here on our homestead, so we do have a garden. Uh, We have 16 beds in the garden, and those are all dedicated beds that have very specific plants grown in them. But we have expanded to the permaculture side of things now, and we will be doing that in addition to our garden beds. Long term, there's a good chance that the garden will kind of be a thing of the past and will all eventually be integrated into the permaculture food forest. But for now, we're keeping them separate because it does take some time for a permaculture food forest to establish itself. Um, with that in mind, um, you know, one, some of the things that we're going to be doing this year, are you know increasing the the wood chips in our walking paths in our garden. So every year we'll be adding wood chips to the walkways to help keep the walkways, you know, weed free. The nice thing about that is as those wood chips break down, they are creating fantastic soil underneath. So when we eventually decide to take the, you know, the walls down on the garden beds and merge it with the food forest, which is Right next door on the next lot. Um, We will have amazing soil that is well-conditioned and has been, you know, growing and evolving for some time. The the beds, we started out using a back to Eden or a no-dig garden method. Um, So we had, you know, cardboard down and then we put compost on top of that. And then we put thick wood chips on top of that and planted in the soil below the wood chips. And we had some mixed success with that. Um, We're modifying that a, a little bit. And instead of using wood chips on top of our garden beds, we are using straw. Now, straw and wood chips both work as fantastic sources of mulch. But the straw will break down substantially faster than the wood chips. So while... It works great in a garden setting. You wouldn't necessarily want to do that in a food forest, in a permaculture design, because the straw does break down much faster. So we're going to be doing a little bit of both on our homestead. So we'll be still using the wood chips we've talked about. Um, I apologize. I told you you'd be hearing about the puppies that are on Well, They are playing and fighting all around me right now. So you can tune them out. They are not ferocious. They are just currently attacking each other for fun. Anyhow. Um, we'll be doing a mixture of using both straw as well as the wood mulch for our mulching layers. Some other things that we use on our homestead are leaf mulch. Um, so we do have a couple of tall, big trees um, that are one is a maple tree and the other is a locust tree. And we're going to use the, the leaves from those in our compost bin to create what some called leaf mold or leaf mulch. Um, We shred it all up with our leaf hog and, and grind it all up to smaller pieces, throw that into the compost bins, and you can also just put that directly on your beds. Now, I do recommend that if you're going to use leaves as your mulch source for your garden or for your permaculture food forest, that you do shred them at least some. Um, Because otherwise they can create thick mats that become anaerobic and you do not want anaerobic activity um, in your garden if you can avoid it because it will hamper growth. Eventually it'll break down and air will get in and you'll be able to, to have that soil spring back to life. But it's important to keep your soil oxygenated. Um so we we do shred ours, and then we also do the worm composting. So when I said that we only raise the chickens and the bees, really, I guess that was incorrect because we do have worms um so we have a vermicomposting setup where we do kitchen scraps into a a worm bed, and then the worms they they are red red wrigglers. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. They're red wiggler worms, and they chomp on all of those garden, those veggie scraps and and kitchen scraps, and break them down into worm manure, um, or worm castings, are what they're called in the industry. And those worm castings are amazing for the soil. Um, it's it's a lot of work up front on the on the food forest side of things because you know, in our situation, we have an urban lot that had houses on it before. So there are big chunks of, you know, cinder blocks that have been left behind. There are just remnants of what was once a home on that property that we've had to, you know, dig up and move. There also, in our case, there was a a black walnut tree on that lot. So the black walnut tree is going to produce, um, some chemicals that are making it difficult for other things to grow it's a it's how the black walnut tree is able to survive it's it's a defense mechanism for that tree but it doesn't really do us good in our permaculture setting because we don't want it to stave off the growth of our apple trees our peach trees our kiwi trees our pawpaws the mulberries or the hazelnut trees or any of those things so, unfortunately, that tree um, does have to go. It is, it is coming down. Um, we cannot use the leaves or the hulls from those nuts in our compost because they will um, release that chemical that is going to cause problems with our, our other things growing. But what we can do is use it for firewood um, to, to have fires. We can use it um, and cure it. To make some projects, um, as I said before, Bob loves woodworking, so he can harvest some of that wood and save parts of it to, you know, cut down, mill down, and make furniture pieces or things for the, you know, for the farm, like benches and stools or buckets or things like that. So it's not going to go to waste. And though we are taking down a tree, which I hate to do when you've got a mature tree, we are replacing it with, you know, twenty. Other trees, so we're removing one, but adding twenty, so it's still a net gain. Uh, But once we get all these things established, it's great because the the forest is going to just constantly produce this abundance. You know, you'll have your fruit coming in, and you'll have everything coming in at different times, and you'll be able to harvest year you know almost year round from it. Um, It it's just a beautiful source of abundance, whereas typically a just a garden has, you know, between one and three seasons of growth. You know, a lot of times you'll have your early or cold season plantings of things like peas and brassicas that, that do well in the beginning of the season when it's cooler out, your cool season crops. And then you have, you know, your summer garden. Towards the end of the summer garden, you know, depending on how you plant your your garden you may have a fall planting of again some of those cool season crops which may struggle to grow a little in the beginning when it's still fairly warm but as the season cools down they will thrive and grow and so sometimes you can get three seasons out of that um, but most people typically grow just one season in their garden whereas with the permaculture you know nature is you know providing year-round for the insects and the birds and things in the area and so it will constantly be providing though not so much in the winter just because we are a zone 6a and it does get pretty chilly in the winter so that's kind of what we've got going on with our differences between permaculture food forest versus garden beds Um, garden beds you know another another design difference is gardens you typically have to um, come up with an irrigation system of some sort. Either you were using a hose or watering cans or things to water a garden, typically versus permaculture design um, includes things to use nature's watering source. Now, that's not to say that you may never need to water. I mean, there are times, especially when you're first getting things established the first year or so, when you're getting things up and running, you may need to water. And when you plant annuals into your permaculture food forest, you are still going to need to water them right after planting to help them take off and things like that. But There's a lot less of that um, involved in the permaculture systems. So there are some differences in that regard. You densely, 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 (laughs) if you have been figured out densely, um, plant in a permaculture food forest situation, whereas in a garden, usually it's a little bit more spread out and you've got a little bit more room. Now I say that, but that's not that's not to rule out those who do like square foot gardening where things are super densely packed and you absolutely are making the most out of your gardening space. There are several gardeners who absolutely have their gardens packed, but in a permaculture food system, you know, there are a lot more compact areas because that's how nature is. Nature doesn't like bare ground. When nature sees bare soil, it's going to add seeds from weeds and things that are going to go in and break up that soil to breathe air and life into that soil. You're going to see, um, you know, a variety of different weeds come in. And over time, the type of weeds that are in that area are going to evolve as the soil gets broken down, then soils, um, you know, going to have seeds for things that don't have those deep, thick tap roots, like, um, like comfrey or like dandelions have, you know, those dandelion and comfrey roots are fantastic because they have a really deep, strong tap root that are going to permeate that soil, they're going to really dig in and break up that soil But then eventually you'll start getting some of your wild grasses and things which root, you know, very shallow to the ground. They don't have such deep, thick tap roots. And as those die and break down, they're adding that carbon back into the ground and they're pulling some of those nutrients in. there's aerobic life coming back into the soil as, you know, bacteria begin to slowly build and break down that you know that dead plant matter and slowly but surely what was once bare ground is going to become lush green areas well that's what we're mimicking in our food forest we're making sure that we have as much space filled with plant life as we can for one it helps with you know keeping weeds out of the garden because weeds have nowhere to grow if everything is taken up by plants And for two, it helps keep our soil healthy and happy. And having healthy, happy soil is super important. You know, in a permaculture setting, it's based, in our case, around the trees. Now, you can have different kinds of guilds set up and different zones. Not everybody in permaculture are going to have an orchard. You know, that's our choice. There are permaculture designs that center around you know, shrubs as the you know as the the tallest part of their garden, and those are totally fine. There is no real wrong way to design your your permaculture uh, garden or your permaculture forest. What works for you and what works for your space is absolutely. Perfect. And that's the case with any kind of gardening or farming scenario really is whatever is best for you is what is best because at the end of the day, you know what's best for your family. Um, You know, if you don't like tomatoes, don't grow tomatoes. If you don't love carrots, then don't grow carrots because it serves you no purpose to spend the time, money and resources and effort in growing vegetables and plants that you don't like. Um, Unless you're doing it for a trade situation, like I was talking about with the microgreens, you know, maybe we don't like eggs, but we like all the other parts of the chicken, we could still, you know, raise the chickens and trade those eggs to somebody who has, you know, a setup that is better equipped for the things that you know, that we are not equipped for at this time. Now, that's not to say that we're not equipped for microgreens. We are, and we do grow small amounts of microgreens, but we we also recognize our strengths are in the outdoor gardening and in, you know, the The permaculture side of things, our strength is not the microgreens, where when you go with an expert um, in microgreens, they, you know, they are the expert. And so they'll be able to provide a better, stronger, healthier crop than we can provide on a small scale here at the homestead. So that is the differences between permaculture and gardening in a nutshell, Um, a 40-minute nutshell at that, I suppose but a lot of people have asked. And so there's, those are some of the main differences and that is kind of what permaculture is. Now, I am currently not what I would call an expert in the matter. I have done a ton of research. I have studied and researched a ton. I do not have my permaculture design certificate. So I am by no means an expert, but you can find folks that do have certificates in permaculture design that have taken intensive training um, to learn how to design the right permaculture uh, food forest for you. You can absolutely hire them to do design work, um, and, and things like that. But I do feel that I have researched and I do have enough knowledge to share with the community about these things. And if you like what you're hearing, if you love learning about our farm, if you want to know more, Please make sure you follow us, make sure you share our podcast, because that's how we are able to grow is with the support of our followers and our listeners. So if you would, if you would give us a follow, give us a share, tell all of your gardening friends about what we have going on here, we would so very much appreciate that. And until later, I thank you so much for tuning in and thanks thanks again for listening. I hope you have a fantastic day and good luck in your garden.